It got to be detrimental when I was a mom and my kid went to fifth grade. That sent me all over again back to fifth grade. I was like, oh no, this is where people are cruel and mean and bully. And then I'd go visit him at school or go help in the classroom and I would cover my face. This episode is brought to you by The Parlor Hair and Body Salon. With a quick reminder, it's okay to take time for yourself. Hi, I'm Chelsea. You're listening to Beyond the Picket Fence, where you're invited to take a break from keeping it together. Let's get real. I found someone who loves a good story of overcoming as much as I do. Not to mention analogies. She actually hosts her own podcast called Heidi's Lemonade Stand, a podcast where people share how they took the figurative lemons that life handed them and turned it into lemonade, which I obviously love because lemons are yellow. As I listened to her podcast, I wondered what lemon to lemonade story lies behind that microphone. So to share her own story, here is Heidi Aldridge. Yay, Chelsea. Thank you. I love what you're doing as well. I think it's great to kind of peel back the picket fence, like you say, and be able to kind of get inside people's lives. And that's what I do as well. And I love it. I think it's really important that we share. So thank you. Thank you for letting me be here. Let's see. (laughs) Introduce myself. I'm Heidi. You know that. I'm a motivational speaker, but I'm mostly I'm a mom and a wife and a grandma. And I had three kids and a couple of those kids have gotten married and had my grandbabies. So I have five grandkids now, which is my whole life. I love this stage of life. It's super great. And I've been a realtor for like 15 years, but I kind of put that on hold when the pandemic started. It wasn't something I was interested in pursuing anymore. And so that's when I started my podcast. So (laughs) I've been busy doing that the past couple of years. And I have been so blessed to be able to meet amazing people that enrich my life every day. I just don't want to ever stop. I love talking to people. So it's been amazing. It's been a great opportunity. Okay. So just take me back to wherever you feel like your story really starts. Because in my mind, I just see an amazing podcast host. I have very little information of what your life really is. So I'm excited to see what lemon to lemonade story is beyond your picket fence. (laughs) (laughs) Let's tie in both of our podcasts together. Yes. There are lemons to lemonade being made behind every picket fence, right? So we have to peel it back and look at that. And I love that you're doing that. I think my story probably, oh gosh, it goes way back, but let's go back to when I was married with a couple of kids and dealing with a lot of depression, like postpartum and really struggling, really, really struggling and actually struggling with infertility, believe it or not. I had two kids, wanted another one and it was years and years of trying for nothing and that wears on you. You're on medication, your hormones, like it was not, we weren't super wealthy, you know, we'd gone through college and just like trying to make it. And kind of felt like we were stuck. I felt stuck. I felt like not happy in my life at all. And I was really, really struggling. And I would hang out with this neighbor friend and we'd exercise together. And finally, one day she said, I cannot be with you any longer. I can't hang out with you anymore. You are too negative and you're bringing me down and I can't be around you any longer. I was like, okay. Like it was shocking, but I was so grateful at the same time. Like I refer to that incident. It was literally life-changing and I'm so glad she was brave enough to tell me 
that truth that I was really hard to be around. I remember going back to my husband. I'm like, she says she can't be with me anymore. I'm too negative. And he's like, well, <laughs> and I'm like, hey, so it was That's amazing that you had the courage to listen and not just get offended and be like, right. I hate her. That's pretty telling of how you are that you listened. That was hard, though. It was hard to take that news. But then I'm like, well, I don't even like being around myself. So I knew she had a point. You know, I was super whiny. And to the point, you know, and I've been around people like that since then. And you do. You're just like, oh, my gosh, is there nothing? Like, is this a two-way conversation? Like, are you just so self-absorbed with, like, your situation that that's all you can do is just marinate in it and talk about it and rehash it? Like, I'm kind of sick of hearing, you know? So on the other side, I'm like, I can kind of... To see how she got sick of it. I definitely was a downer. And I was also using the law of attraction in a negative way. I didn't know about the law of attraction, but I was using it anyway without knowing it and just saying like, well, today was an okay day. So tomorrow is going to be bad. You know, like I would set it up and then I would look for the things to go wrong, look for the bad, or we'd get some extra money, you know, like a tax return or Christmas money or something. And like, oh, well now something's going to break because we have extra money. And so something would break, you know, like I just was constantly putting it out there. Oh, I started my day by this problem. So that means the whole day is going to be bad. And it would, you know, the whole day would be shot. (laughs) So I was definitely not very fun to be around. So were you I, like that your whole life or was it just after motherhood and infertility and all the hormones and everything? You know what? I actually was like that when I was a kid. I was negative. I'm not exactly sure. I think my negativity started as a kid from being bullied. And so I had a really low self-esteem and actually was very suicidal for a while of just like, what's the point? Why should I keep on living? So I would say I was negative and more just like the world is better off without me kind of negativity and poor me and constantly like, I hate the way I look. I hate my life. I hate this. And I was just a hater. I just hated everything. I was never, nothing was ever good enough. I wasn't happy about anything. I couldn't find the good in anything. I can't believe we almost just breezed past the bullying situation. Here she is in front of me, this beautiful, confident, gentle, and kind woman. I couldn't imagine what people would bully her for. I wanted to go deeper. The bullying happened when I was in elementary school. I think at that point, we all have that like fifth grade picture that like doesn't look super lovely where our features are bigger than our face. I was lucky. (laughs) I had lots of things that were going wrong with my face. I was actually super, super skinny. So I was made fun of for being too thin. And people would make fun of me about, oh, the wind is going to blow you over and you're like a stick. And I I was, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't my fault. There was nothing I could do. I just happened to have a really high metabolism. I ate like crazy and I could not gain a pound. Like it was, was, I wish I still had the problem now, but (laughs) my metabolism caught up with me, but I was made fun of for being too thin. You could see my hip bones and my wrist bones. And then my face, my facial features. I have a very big smile and I had very crooked teeth. I have very prominent freckles that I now cover with makeup. And I had a very large nose and a flat chin. So kind of my neck blended in with my face. So super rough, you know, then I got the headgear and the glasses and the braces and went through all of that. But it got to the point, the bullying was so bad and people commenting about how can I even drink out of a cup, you know, to be able to, because my nose was so big and that I look like a bird beak and just all the things. (laughs) They were cruel. And so you hear that. I still hear it. You know, it's been almost 50 years and I still hear that in my mind when I look in the mirror. 
And it just got to be really hard, you know, every day to be bullied in the in the playground and just constant. These these bigger girls would just follow me around and just keep telling me how ugly I was. Follow me around all of recess. Of course, she told her mom, but this was back in the 80s when bullying wasn't really talked about. She would just say, oh, they're just jealous of you. So just ignore them. <laughs> and I'm like, jealous of all this? I don't think so, you know? And so that made me even more hurt, you know? it just Like unvalidated. Yes, very unvalidated and more just like, okay, now now something's really wrong with me, you know? Like if they're jealous of this, like there's, there's something really wrong. So it was just hard. It was just a really hard time. I dealt with that for several years. I was about 10 years old, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Yeah. So anytime you feel like someone doesn't like you, you probably just are back in that little girl's body. Right. Back to that 12-year-old looking in the mirror with the, with the braces and the freckles and the nose. Yeah, that's all I see still. I'm so sad about this. I have a difficult enough time fighting back the mean thoughts my own brain offers me. Here Heidi is, still waging wars against the words that were constantly said out loud to her all growing up. It's not right. Remember that saying, I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. Oh, how I wish it was that easy. Years later, the words were still affecting her. To go help at school, because I didn't want the 10-year-old kids to see me. As an adult with my own 10-year-old, I was still so self-conscious of it. Aww. I would cover my face to go to the school. I wish masks were popular back then because I would have loved that. But <laughs> I would I would put a folder or a paper or my hand. Yeah, I'd wear a scarf. Have you done like EMDR for that? You should go do some EMDR. <laughs> right? I actually have. I have done therapy and I was able to get a little bit of plastic surgery done, which I thought would help and actually didn't help. It's all in my head. You have to quiet those bullies in your head. Like they're there and we just have to. And again, that's tactics and things I've had to learn over the years to just be like, tell them to shut up. And yep. sometimes you actually have to say that. And I don't say that very often. So. Just tell them to be quiet and validate yourself in other ways to make yourself feel worthy of things. We could just take a moment to just be someone else to look at ourselves. So we could be like, ah, that's what they see. That's what they see. Let's move along in the story, since now we have the background as to where her negativity may have stemmed from as a child. So I was negative that way when I was a kid. But then, you know, fast forward 10 years when now I'm a mom and dealing with depression and having a friend tell me I'm negative again. And I'm like, I thought I was doing better with that. And it was at that point when I kind of looked around myself and started thinking, you know, I mean, there's other people that have problems or that are suffering, but they're like doing good things about it. And that was so eye-opening for me because I didn't realize that people could go through hard things and like come out better because of them. Like they could take a challenge and be happy because of what they went through. Like that's crazy to me because in my mind, you just have to be miserable. And so it was so exciting to reach out to some people that I'd heard about and be like, I want to hear your story more. Like, you know, back then it was radio talk show. This is in 1999, you know, so there wasn't like internet to go get all this information from. And so I wanted more. I wanted to hear more stories. And so I went to a local radio station and I asked them if I could be a radio talk show host and do this little idea I had where people could share their lemon to lemonade story. They could come in and tell a challenge that they've overcome and what they're doing to make the world better because of it. Within a month, Heidi was on the air sharing these stories. And it really helped me get out of my depression and funk as I was meeting with people weekly and hearing their 
traumatic sometimes stories of things that they've been through and how they've now started a support group or they've written a book or they're motivational speakers or whatever it was that they had done because of what they've been through. And I was like, so inspired by these people. It was so exciting. And it changed my whole outlook on life. It changed my perspective. It changed my attitude. And within a year, I found that I was expecting that baby that I had wanted so desperately. And I realized that just kind of forgetting myself and focusing on other people and other people's lives and stories just really made it. So I finally saw my miracle. Just to remind you, she had already had two children, then tried for six years to finally get their third I know it sounds so spoiled. Like I already had two and I was whining because I couldn't have another. No, there's no judgment. You know what I mean? It just was so, it was hard for me at the time. It's frustrating to wonder what's going on with your body. Like what the heck I already had some, why is it not working now? Yes. And I could plan exactly when I was having my other two. And so I think I got a little spoiled, like, oh, I'm just going to have another one. Wait, why? What is happening to me? And then the hormones and all the problems after that. And so my radio talk show just really like literally saved me. It really gave me that purpose again. I relate to this so much. I receive so many messages about how you see yourself in these stories and how much you get from each episode. This is why I do it. Hearing real, unfiltered stories is what got me through everything with Jackson. It gets me through every day, especially those days my mental health is slipping. I can only do this because of you. If you weren't willing to open up with me and share yourself, I'd have no show. So thank you for being willing to be open with people, to let them in, to see that we all have issues. Well, eventually, Heidi had that sweet baby and took time off from the show so that she could raise her. And I remember signing off on my radio show. I'm like, my baby's due in two weeks. So I'm going to take a break for a little bit and be with her. And then she was born two days later. She came a couple (laughs) weeks early and she was fun to raise. And I didn't want to miss a minute of it. And I feel like it was a really great do-over because my other two, not that I resented them in any way, but I just wanted them to grow up fast. You know, it's like kind of grow up, get on with, you know, I want to do my thing. I want to, I'm tired of cleaning up the toys and changing the diapers, like grow up, go to school, get out of the house, you know? And then they were, by the time I had my third one, they were both in school all day. And so I'm like, okay, do over. I have to be a lot more patient. They do grow up, they do leave. And I need to just enjoy this a little bit more and kind of relish every moment and savor it a little bit better. So she taught me Uh a lot. (laughs) She still teaches me. (laughs) She's 21 now, and she's still one of my biggest teachers. I'm going to listen to that 30 seconds over and over. I get so stressed about the little unimportant things and forget to look into my kids' eyes and just savor it. And this applies to every relationship. One day, my husband's grandpa was at a family gathering. Then the next time, he wasn't. Did I hug him goodbye? Did I sit and chat with him? I don't remember. I now hug and say a very heartfelt goodbye when I leave people, because you just never know. So let's take a moment today and look into someone's eyes and savor the moment. Promise me you'll do it today, and then email me and tell me how it went. (laughs) I saw a picture of my daughter Charlie the other day. She was three. How is she eight? It goes so fast. Too fast. Speaking of fast, 10 years passed and Heidi finally returned, but instead of the lemonade stand being on the radio, it's a podcast now so anyone can hear it around the world. I asked her how she came up with her show name. 
It was funny because I actually hated the saying, when life hands you lemons, make lemonade. I thought it was super dumb and just trite and made things so like no big deal. You know, I was just really bothered by it. I'm like, no, things are really hard. You don't just like turn it around. Like <laughs> you, it's, it's hard. And so I just was bugged by that saying forever. And I remember telling my mom, you know, here I am grown and, and married and having children. And I remember talking to my mom about my idea for this radio show. And I was like, I'm going to do this show and I'm going to talk to people who have overcome challenges. And she's like, oh, like taken lemons and made lemonade. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I hate that saying. And I don't even like lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell people that i know and then i'm like oh that's a perfect it's a perfect way to describe exactly what people are doing and so it just was definitely inspired i think you know to to get that idea and i'm like you know what that really is the best way to describe these stories and what people have done and it's been kind of a fun little analogy after all and i like it and it's cheery and it has a lot more meaning to it than i originally thought <laughs> Oh, that's really cool. And see how much someone can grow and change and <laughs> adopt something they hated. Yes. That's like their life motto. <laughs> I know. Who would have ever thought? And I actually changed it. So it's not lemonade, the drink. I changed the spelling to lemon A-I-D, lemon aid. And so I use it more like first aid or band-aid. It's kind of that, it's that way to get fixed, that way to kind of encourage you to go a little bit further. You know, it's just an aid. It's a it's a step in the process. And so it's Heidi's lemon aid stand. So we're not really talking about that sweet drink, but yet we are. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> it still has the analogy of taking lemons and making lemonade. Oh yeah, that is true. It's spelled different. <laughs> yeah, it's spelled A-D-E. <laughs> the drink is. But I spell it A-I-D. I, I love that. That is so cute. And you just witnessed a 29-year-old woman learning the true spelling of lemonade. I literally did not catch that spelling until she just explained it. We'll just chalk that up to mom brain or autocorrect. Okay? Okay. <laughs> so when Heidi chooses people to come on her show, you get a little thing that lays out the whole analogy. Like, what is your pitcher? Life before the lemons. What is your water? Then the sugar. You know, the sweet that makes it all yummy. So I wanted to know what she considered all of those things for herself and her own story. Do you feel like your depression and everything was like your lemon into lemonade story? Or do you feel like there's something else that was the water and the pitcher and all of that jazz? Yeah, that's a good question. I definitely feel like my depression was my lemon and being able to talk to people, getting help, getting medication. There was definitely some things I had to do to get myself in a better place. But I went through a lot of training as well. You know, after talking to all these people and then I spent the last 20 years doing training and reading books and self-help and going to conferences and always doing things to try to elevate happiness or find happiness. Because I was always like, I'll be happy when, you know, that was my saying. I'm like, I'll be happy when the kids grow up or I'll be happy when we can build our dream house. I'll be happy when we can pay off debt or whatever. And then those things would happen. And then I'd just be like, well, that didn't do it. <laughs> I guess I'll be happy when, you know, the next thing. And maybe I'll be happy when we can go on a vacation. And I just never could get there. I just was always looking for happiness somewhere else. So that's definitely been a big change for me as well to learn. And so for my like water pitcher and water and lemon and, and sugar, you know, it would probably go encompass all those things. You know, the lemon was definitely that depression, but then I was able to take those other things and just learn and be willing to learn, be willing to see myself the way I was and be willing to change and do what I needed to be better. And I think a lot of it goes back to 
just again, when I was a child and, and the bullying and kind of the low self-esteem and things and just feeling like my life wasn't worth it, that was definitely some demons I had to deal with later in life with my depression. But a lot goes back to when I was a teenager and I was 16 years old and the police came to our door and told us that our dad had just taken his life. Whoa. You see, we never know anyone's full story. We could have stopped, already learning so much from Heidi. And then she dropped this huge lemon. But before we go on, let's take a quick break. Want more of Beyond the Picket Fence? Well, join us in our free Facebook community. This community is our secret little place to escape all of the perfection we see here on social media and connect with women just like you who are ready to be done comparing and start being compassionate to themselves and others. Find it at facebook.com slash groups slash beyond the picket fence. Link also in the show notes. Can't wait to see you in there. Let's go back to the story where we just learned when Heidi was 16, her dad took his own life. He just died by suicide. And that was a big awakening moment for me. That again was another lemon that I had to turn into lemonade at that point. And very young, you know, at 16 to try to navigate that with four younger brothers, you know, that were kind of looking to me and I Probably didn't handle it super great. It was definitely a surprise, not something I thought I'd ever have to deal with and kind of knocked me out of my ideas of wanting to do it myself because I realized with his suicide note, when he says, we'll all be better off without him. And that's exactly what I would think all the time. So the world will be better off without me and realizing that's not true. <laughs> you know, we weren't better off without him and he's missed everything. And so that kind of just made me realize to kind of stop thinking about myself at that time at 16 and started looking to other people, went to high school and just started noticing people that maybe seemed a little sad or lonely like I had previously felt mm -hmm. and started reaching out to them and just started wanting to be friends with everyone and smile at people in the halls and kind of look for those people that maybe were feeling like the world would be better off without them. And it really became kind of this goal of mine to just be happy and welcoming and friendly. And I ended up having a great couple of last years of high school, 11th and 12th grade were some of the best years of my life. Literally, they were just, I was able to just really be everything and do everything. And I was drama club president and I, I spoke at graduation and I directed the school play and I had a boyfriend and friends and it was just a really happy time for me. And it's because I stopped thinking about myself and started looking at other people. And it was a great lesson for me of taking lemons and making lemonade. Yeah. So what was your family life like? Were your mom and dad married and everything? Yeah. Good question. Nobody's ever asked me that. It was actually really great family life that we had until that point, up, up about a year or so before that point. My mom, you know, kind of was a stay-at-home mom and we'd do things together as a family. And we moved around a lot because my dad's work would always change. Like he'd quit a job or get fired or get laid off and we'd have to move again. And then three months later, move again, six months later, move again. And so we moved around a lot in our and our finances were always up and down. Oh, this is a better job. Make more money. Oh, got laid off. Now we're poor. And so so it was a lot of turmoil in that sense. But we were really close. Like, we're a really close family. I was the oldest with four younger brothers. They're like my little buddies. They're my best friends. I just adore my brothers to this day. They're amazing men. And uh, I was very close to my mom. Like, we just we had a great family. But there were some things going on with my parents' marriage. And it made it necessary for my dad to leave for a while. And 
they were going to work on getting divorced. And that was just a lot, you know, there was just a lot. And I think he just felt like, you know, he was living in his apartment by himself, seeing his family kind of move on without him. And it was just more than he could bear. Oh my gosh. That's so sad. Yeah. It was really hard. Yeah. So it was very shocking because we didn't really see that because we weren't like seeing him every day. And so was there any idea in your guys' – like, you're 16. You're pretty old at that point. So was yeah. there any idea in your mind that, like, something was going on with your parents? Or was one day it was just, like, dad's moving out? Yeah, dad's gone. It really was one day. Really? Dad's gone. And it was like, what is going on? And slowly kind of hearing some things that were going on and, and navigating that and going to therapy and stuff. And so it was about a year of just kind of figuring out, like – our new normal, I guess you could say, and what's going to happen. And are we going to bring the family back together? How's this going to go? Kind of a in, in just was unsettled for a while. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And so I just think he, he, he was in therapy. And so according to like my dad's journals and stuff, he was really processing a lot of stuff, even from his childhood. And so he just was not, he was not on medication. I remember that Thanksgiving, we had gone to go be with friends. My mom and my brothers and I spent Thanksgiving with friends. And we were kind of traveling back and me and my brothers were asking, like, can we stop and see dad? Can we just see him, you know, say hi to him? And she's like, no, we need to get back or whatever we had to hurry back for. So we weren't mm-hmm. able to stop in and see him at his apartment. And then it was Saturday. So that was Thursday. And it was Saturday when he had taken his life. And the police told us that there was this TV dinner, turkey TV dinner in his trash. And that still hurts me to this day that he was alone on Thanksgiving and not, not any guilt that we didn't stop to say hi, but just, I wish somebody would have reached out to him, you know, maybe a coworker, a neighbor, another family member, if mm-hmm. they would have just invited him over, maybe that would have given him that little bit more to keep going. But I don't know. It always makes me emotional to imagine him sitting there alone. So sad, especially because you know that feeling. Yeah, I do. I've been there and it is very painful, but luckily I've been saved by people reaching out to me, right? Right when I need them, (laughs) somebody will will reach out and make me feel needed and seen. And it kind of kicks you out from that spiraling thinking, you know, when you can stop for a minute and go help someone. And I just think if, and so now even, you know, here it is 33 years later and I still reach out to people on Thanksgiving and make sure everybody has a place to go. And I've always invited my brothers over. We have Thanksgiving together every year. It's just kind of our little thing, even though we're all married and grandparents and our family's humongous, we still will get together on Thanksgiving and and I'll check with neighbors or elderly or single people and you got a place to go. You have somebody to spend Thanksgiving with. And so I'm grateful, you know, that I have that knowledge and that I can care about people that way. So it's been, you know, you got to find the, make the lemonade. Yeah. People can be hurting and we don't even realize it. So reach out. It's always a good thing. It's always a good thing to reach out to someone. Reach out, my friends. When you get that random thought about texting someone, don't put it off. Do it. When you want to smile and wave, but feel like an idiot, just do it. Who knows who you could be saving? If someone popped into your mind right now, reach out. You said you're a motivational speaker. Do you speak on suicide? That's a good question. I don't specifically talk about suicide the whole time, but I definitely share every time I speak. I share my dad's story every time. I want to make sure that, first of all, 
it goes with like what you're saying with like, you can look at me and think, oh, you know, she's got it all together. She's never had any problems. She doesn't understand what I'm going through. And it's like, sometimes it's good to share it just to kind of break down that barrier with people and remove that picket fence and show people like I have had a life. I've had experiences that have been traumatic too. And we can all get along. We can all relate to each other in some way. And so I, I do touch on it every time I speak but I don't focus totally on that. I try to teach people ways to kind of elevate their life and just ways to not spiral into that thinking because that's a rough place to be in. And so I try to give them tips and advice and help to not go there. (laughs) And opposite, think opposite. I think especially after 2020, spiraling into those thoughts became a lot easier for the world. Whether it's your gut health, spirituality, hormones, brain chemicals, whatever you believe it is, The struggle is real. Literally three months ago, I was curled up right here on the floor, bawling, just needing to escape my life, needing to escape me. If that's you right now, you're not crazy. You're not a burden. Your feelings are valid. Reach out. Please, just reach out. So many people are having those thoughts lately. So what is a little bit of your advice, if you don't mind me asking? (laughs) That's great. I really, the only thing to do in that moment is to get outside of yourself. And it, it, it can be hard. And that's why I try to teach, like if we're already doing daily things, then hopefully we won't get to that point. And so it's kind of cutting it off before it happens. There are habits and things you can have in your life before you get there. But if you are curled up on the floor, I've been there. I was on my bed, (laughs) curled up in my bed. I'm done. I'm sitting there trying to think how many sleeping pills I could take that would actually do the job. It's really hard to Google. And so I was just sitting there like, okay, what, you know, how many could I take that won't like just make me super sick or have liver problems the rest of my life or other, you know, like it's a crazy thought as you're sitting there spiraling like this is done. I'm done, you know? And, and I remember I actually reached out to someone I sent him a text as I was thinking, you know, and had the sleeping pills and laying in my bed crying and sent a text like, hey, not going to be able to meet with you like we had planned, you know, in a couple of days. And they texted back, oh, why? What's going on? You know, should we reschedule? I said, no, I'm going to die tonight. That's why I can't. And they came right over. You said that? Yes, I actually said that. So I can't reschedule. I'm going to die tonight. Crazy, huh? Like, I can't believe I did that. But thank goodness. It's like a call for help, though. It really is. That's what I did is I set up like, okay, when I'm going to have these spirals, I'm, I called like the same five people. I called a friend who was validating and was like, I know what you're, I, I have this too. And then I called like my life coach who was always very like, nothing's gone wrong. This is normal. (laughs) Are you sure? (laughs) And then I texted my sisters and said, like, pray for me. I'm not doing good. I'm not going to kill myself, but I'm not doing good. (laughs) And then I called my mom who was like, are you safe? Do you need me to come and be with you? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think just having something like you really have to reach out. Yes. But you had that in place already. Like those people knew that's what they were for you and they knew how to react with you. And I love that you already had your five all planned out. Like, this is good. This is what we need to teach is to kind of have a plan. Like, especially if we know our head goes there, we need a plan. And really the biggest thing I do is, especially as a kid, I remember every night and back then it was the sleeping pills too. I just stick with the same thing. But back then, you know, every night I'm like, that's it. I'm done. This is the night, you know? And then I remember like my brothers would need something or my mom or my boyfriend, you know, would just be like, hey, you know, can can you help me with this tomorrow? Or I need to meet you and talk about this or whatever the smallest, littlest thing was. And I'm like, oh, 
okay, well then after that I can, (laughs) you know? And so each day it was like, okay, all right, they need me. And so for me and my personality, it helps to be needed. And so if I get in that bad place, and this just happened a couple of weeks ago, I'd had a really, really rough day. Like things were just coming at me just one after another. And I was feeling heavy and down and just sad, just having one of those just sad days. And I was sitting there at dinner with my husband and I was just like, oh, it's just been a rough one. Like I am just not in a good place. I can just feel this heaviness and I'm supposed to go visit these new neighbors tonight. And I'm just like, not, I'm not in a place, like I'm not in a mood. And as soon as I said that, me and my husband said at the same time, well, then I guess you better go, you know? And I did. I walked out the door and spent the evening visiting new neighbors and came back just happy and energized and feeling a purpose again. And it was, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful gift. And so I've noticed for me personally, when I'm in that funk or that negative space, feeling down, it's natural to want to numb out. It's natural to want to just sit and watch TV or eat some food that we know, some donuts would be really great sometimes or some cookies and just kind of hide, go to bed, read a book, you know? And for me, if I just start thinking, okay, and I've gone and like bought flowers for a neighbor and taken them to their house, or I go visit neighbors or I text a friend, you know? I encourage you to figure out your plan for those days. We are all unique individuals. I would be willing to bet that what works for me may not work for you or the person in the car next to you. What helps you? Meditation? Getting out in the sun? Listening to a podcast? I know a good one. (laughs) A bath? Being alone? Get to know you and have a plan for when you start to spiral. And so sometimes it's just reaching out to other people. And I, one of my brothers, it's really interesting. His tactic is when he feels down, he's actually a famous musician. And so he has a big following, you know, on, on social media. And he's told me before, he posts a lot about like the suicide hotline and, and a bunch of stuff about suicide awareness. He posts a lot. And he told me one time, he says, those are the days I'm feeling it, are the days I post about it for other people to know, to reach out. And I was just like, whoa, because I'm like, how do you remember to like do it so often? Like you have all this stuff and your life is so glamorous and you're great. And then all of a sudden suicide awareness stuff. And he's like, no, those are the days when I'm fighting the demons myself. That's what we need to do. Those days when it's hardest, we have to reach out because other people can relate to us. That's true. And I really appreciate that you just said that like this just happened a few days ago, because sometimes (laughs) in my mind, I think like everything, you know, Like when I see other people, it's always me comparing myself to other people. But when I see other people, I'm like, they figured it out. Like she's a motivational speaker. She knows all the tips. She has it figured out. Like even when you said that right now, I thought that just naturally. And then when you were like, yeah, the other day I had these feelings. I'm like, oh, right. It's a constant work in progress because these things go up and down and flow in and out of us. Yes. I'm so glad you pointed that out because you do think, oh, this person's a motivational speaker or this person has all the things or they live in this great big house or they have really well-behaved children or whatever it is that we see on the outside. And we're like, they just have it all together. They must not have a bad day ever. And so it's good to realize, no, we're all living life. We're all just having stuff come at us. We're having tragedy. We're having difficult things. We're having rough days. We're having medication imbalances, whatever it is, like we all have it. And as soon as we think someone doesn't, we need to kind of check in with ourselves and realize that we're not living in reality. When we think that somebody really could just have an easy life, we need to check what where we're getting that from because that's not true information. Nobody has it that way. And so we need to just go, oh yeah, just remind ourselves, even if what we see looks all put together and super great on the outside, 
I did this once and I had a wake up call. Like I was only 22 and I met this lady who was this pageant director, classiest lady, big fancy house up on the hill, like just had it all, like even just the way she dressed and carried herself. And she was this pageant director and with all these beautiful, amazing people, like she just had this glamorous life. And I was just 22 years old, poor, pregnant, you know, and just like, oh, my life sucks, you know, and I'm comparing and I'm looking at her going, I want this. I want, I want her life. I'm going to, I'm going to aim for this. This is, she has it all. And I remember one day she asked me to come over the day before. I said, can you come over tomorrow and help me package up these things that need to be sent out? And I'm like idolizing her. Like, she's going to let me help her. Like, this is the best day ever. I was so excited. And I remember getting to her house this morning, you know, drive up the hill, the fancy house, the neighborhood and looking at everything like, oh, someday I'm going to live like this. And she answers the door and it's like she'd forgotten I was coming and she was still in her robe, hair, you know, makeup. It was like she hadn't even, you know, her eyes were so red and the tears and, you know, you know, like this was a bad night. And she's like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm so sorry. I didn't know you were coming. And I'm like, oh, are you okay? Like, <laughs> this is not, you know. And she's like, no, my husband, I just found out he's been hurting my children and we're going to have to divorce and it's a big mess right now. So I can't, I can't have you here right now. This just happened last night. And I was like, oh my gosh. I remember walking back to my car and I was so devastated and so sad for her. And her life was just rocked in everything she knew. She lost it, every, everything. She lost everything. And I was like, okay, I'm never going to be jealous of someone again. Like, I'm never going to look at someone and be like, I want what they have. And I'm glad that happened so long ago that I could have that lesson when I did. Because it's really helped me a lot to just, when I look at people go, nope, don't go there. You do not want what's behind their door. You just don't. You have no idea. So just keep on going. <laughs> keep on going. You know, just work on you. Be the best you you can be. Sometimes, rarely, but sometimes, there are things you can see. Like if someone's going through chemotherapy or they were just in a bad car accident. But most of the things people are struggling with are not obvious. I remember there was a time when me and my husband were actually really struggling. We'd been married about 20 years and we were in a we were in bad, bad place in our marriage. And the house we were living in at the time, there wasn't a place we could discuss anything away from our children. Like the way the house was laid out, there was not a private area. And after my husband's at work day and I'm at work all day, the only time we could talk is like the evening and our teenagers are around and we're just like, oh my gosh, this is. And so we actually learned to just like, we went outside. And then once we were outside, we just started kind of walking and we're almost walking. You were walking like five feet apart, like each on the other side of the sidewalk. Like we're just like, I <laughs> do not like you. Yes. <laughs> swearing, yelling, venting it all out, like so bad, right? So, so bad. It was bad. It was for a few months. And every night we'd just go out and walk and just get it all out. And we'd go to therapy, you know, and then we'd come home and we'd walk <laughs> and talk it out. And we were going through all this marriage counseling. And then before long, like we're walking closer together, then we're holding hands. We just kept walking every single day. It was our only time to really vent it out. But then mm -hmm. it became our time to connect. Heidi and her husband moved away from that neighborhood a few years later, and when they left, they received all these sweet little notes. 
we got all these little love notes from our neighbors because it was during COVID. And so one of our neighbors went around and collected notes from everyone, little letters from everyone in the neighborhood because we'd lived there for like 16 years. Like we'd lived there a long time. And they did a drive-by goodbye to us in their cars because, you know, April 2020, like nobody was going out of their houses. And so they gave us all these little letters that she compiled in this little book and every single neighbor said how much they loved watching us walk together every day. Not a single neighbor knew that we were talking about ending our marriage when we were out walking the neighborhood every day. And so just even in that, like so many people, you're such a great example of us. And one neighbor's like, my husband and I were so jealous. We see you out walking every night and we wish we could do that. And I'm like, you wish you could talk about ending your marriage? Like that's what we were doing, you know? Yeah. So just even when you see people doing something that looks like something, it could actually mean something else too. So anyway, just don't ever, just don't ever think that somebody has it easy or somebody has it good because they have their own challenges. So that's really my biggest message is just like, we got to stop assuming that somebody else's life is what we want to live because we're here to live our own life and go through our own challenges and deal with those the best way we can and reach out to other people so that we can have those connections and have that support because you don't realize how much people really know about what you're going through. And they can say, me too. That happened to me. We talked about divorce too. Or I know someone who died by suicide too. Or I was postpartum depressed too. Like you have no idea what other people will relate to when you open up. It's really important. This interview just shows that no one is handed just one lemon. We really get like our own lemon tree. Heidi got bullied. Her dad committed suicide. She had depression, marriage struggles. And I'm sure there's more that we didn't even talk about. When I ask people to come on my show to tell me their stories, I always think I'm going to get one story and more stories always come out. People's lives are complex. How is everyone walking around the grocery store just looking like la-di-da, everything's fine? It's crazy. We are warriors. So to keep with the analogy, when you're drinking and enjoying someone's sweet lemonade, don't forget about the lemon tree beyond their white picket fence. And with that, I'll ask, what do you wish people saw beyond your white picket fence? Instead of just thinking, wow, they have everything good, you could think, I wonder what they're dealing with. I wonder what demons, I wonder what hard things, trials, challenges, you know? And so it's easier to go that way and just be gentle with people and kind and understanding than judge people and be like, why'd they act like that? And why'd they do that? And I can't believe they said that. It's like, you have no idea. They could just be hanging on by their fingernails right now. Be patient and kind and understanding. And yeah, maybe there's a jerk out there. Maybe there's a person who's just mean, but there's still a reason. When she was younger, Heidi always thought it was so annoying that nothing in this life was fair. I was like, that's not fair. That's not fair. And I'm, when I grow up, I'm going to make everything fair. And my dad would be like, not anything is fair in this world. He'd always say that nothing is fair in this world. I'm like, I'm going to make it fair. And then I just heard a friend just a couple months ago say, nothing is fair and we wouldn't want it to be. And I was like, yes, we, what? <laughs> you know, and it gave this whole different, because we just had a little two-year-old in our neighborhood die suddenly during the night, just died, no explanation. And so I was like, oh my gosh, if life were fair, all of us would have lost our two-year-olds that night, you know? And so instead of looking at life fair and like, I want to make sure I have exactly what everybody else has, instead just be grateful for what we do and realize it's not fair. And if it was, we'd have to struggle the same way as other people struggle. And we just need to keep our own struggles. They're meant for us and they're meant to bring us to another place if we use them in that way and see them as a gift. And so let's not get hung up on everything being fair and just enjoy the life we're given and and treat it as a gift and learn whatever we can from it. 
This has been another episode of Beyond the Picket Fence. If you have a story to share or you know someone that does, please reach out to me on my website, Facebook, or Instagram. The link for all these things should be in the show notes. Will. They will be in the show notes. I'm going to put them there for you. And as always, be kind, because you never know what's going on beyond the picket fence.